This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host. At Parent Footprint, we believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting and with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called The Boy Crisis, What Moms and Dads Can Do About It. I am very pleased to introduce my colleague, Deb Blum. Deb lives in in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband and her 15- and 17-year-old boys. She's been a management and technology consultant for over 25 years. Ten years ago, Deb found herself at a personal crisis point, suffering the consequences of unhealed trauma, completely disconnected from herself, on the brink of divorce, bitter, blaming, and hopeless. Deb learned that to be a good leader, parent, and partner, she needed to show up for herself first. She also had her mind blown when she realized that there's a whole new way to experience relationships that created a massive change in her parenting, marriage, and life. Deb knew she needed to show others what she learned, so she got certified as a life and parent coach. And for the past eight years, she's been empowering moms to create relationships and thriving families by focusing on themselves first. Deb is passionate about expanding human consciousness, trauma healing, community building, empowering women, speaking out about boys, and keeping dads involved in kids' lives. And in addition to her coaching and consulting work, Deb is the co-founder of a large local parent community, Redwood Parents Connect, the founder of the Center for the Well-Being of Boys, and a strategic advisor for the Marin County Restorative Youth Court. Deb, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And thank you for sharing yourself uh, so genuinely just at the outset with, uh, with your bio. There's so much, so much I want to ask you about your journey. <laughs> and the, the first, I guess the first question that comes to mind is how did this journey lead you to banging the drums about the boy crisis? Well, what really happened is that, so I have two boys, so naturally I was interested in what I could do to be the best mom that I could be. So I did do a lot of reading and tried to better understand boys. And I even read some of the books about the boy crisis, but they never really fully penetrated me. 
until I read the book called The Boy Crisis that was written by Dr. Warren Farrell and uh, Dr. John Gray. And when I read that book, I had a really massive shift. And it wasn't what you would expect. Um, So yes, I was shocked by what I was reading. But even more so, I was noticing that something was really changing. I was feeling closer to my husband. Now, 10 years ago when I was in my, my crisis, it really was mostly impacting my marriage. So it's not that I've always been really happy and just had a blissful marriage. I had a lot of challenges. And when I was reading this book, I was increasingly feeling more love and I guess I would even say compassion for my husband. And I was also finding myself being so much more understanding with my boys. And I couldn't, I, I was, I was struck by it. And a lot of it is because I was seeing how important it is for dads to stay involved in boys' lives. Actually, it's really important for dads to stay involved in their boys' and their girls' lives. But it was, it, it, it's impacting our boys in a very, very obvious way when dads are not involved. And so I had, I had two things happening to me. One was I had deep gratitude for, that my husband and I stuck it out and that my husband really fought for our marriage. So I had a lot of gratitude because I really felt like I could attribute a lot of how my boys were doing, which was that they were doing really well. But I felt that I could attribute that to them having him. So that was happening for me. And then, um, yeah, so I mean, it was really a, a huge awareness for me. And so I felt like I had shifted from probably an, a somewhat unconscious bias that I had that moms were more important. I hate to even speak that out loud that I had that because I so don't believe that now. But at the time, I think there was some way that I was unconsciously feeling like I had a, like a better sense of how to parent. And then when I saw all the ways that my husband did things that we didn't even, neither one of us knew consciously were so important for our sons that I could appreciate them in a conscious way. And so therefore, the more I appreciated them, that's what that then that brought me to this place of just feeling so much closer and so much. My, I'm not kidding you that the book has significantly improved my relationship with my husband, with my, my sons, and then with all the men that I have in my life. Okay, so we're all intrigued now because there's some there's some di- there's some diamonds in here that we need to mine from you. So first off, you know we jumped right into the boy crisis and and this the, this book, this powerful book. What? How would you define what the boy crisis is? Yeah, so the boy crisis is pretty huge, but I'll give you a couple of things that are probably the most I don't know the, that will impact people the most. One of them is that boys are doing poorly in all academic subjects, including in reading and writing. And one thing that we know is that reading and writing is the biggest predictor of success for for anyone. And if we look in all of the most developed nations in the world, our boys aren't doing well. And it's not like you can just say, "Oh, well, it's because girls are doing better." It's it's that boys are actually doing worse. And so they're falling by, behind in almost all academic areas. The other thing is that they're also graduating from college at a much lower rate. And again, this is a, a situation, if it was just that it had evened between boys and girls, that would be wonderful. 
But that's not what happened. If you look out to 2020, it's predicted that boys will be graduating at a rate of 40%. So 60% girls and 40% boys from college and university. Um, I'm pretty sure that includes graduate degrees, not just undergraduate. The other places in mental health. So our suicide, suicide rates are skyrocketing for actually pretty much everyone, but for teens in general. But if you look at comparing them to girls, what you see is that at the age of nine, they're pretty equal, which breaks my heart. I mean, I can't even believe that people at nine years old actually think about committing suicide. That's devastating to me. But then as we increase in age, it it goes from twice as many boys as girls commit suicide between 10 and 14, then four times as many between 15 and 19, and then five times as many in 20 to 24. So we see that their mental health is definitely suffering. And uh, and then we just we can see also that there's just been a there have been big changes. There have been big changes in the way that the the way that wor- the world needs boys. You know, it used to be that boys were needed to be able to fight wars and to um, do more life-threatening jobs. And that's absolutely important, but because, you know, these things still can and do happen, but we're seeing that there's a need for boys to be more rising up to, to new, new capacities that require them to use their mind more. And there are ways that we have actually seen this, a pretty significant um, lack of sense of purpose in our boys. And I think most people probably can find someone in their lives where they can see where a boy or a man is sort of floating aimlessly and that there isn't a lot of support out there. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, those are some examples. Yeah. So did this just, has this been a deteriorating process? Did, how did this, how did this happen? And, and I guess, why do you think this happened? Yeah, well, so um, I am definitely not one of the research on researchers on this, but for the people who are doing the research, and I'm really just parroting what's out there right now, but the saddest part of all of this is that it actually has been happening over the past 50 years. And I think what's really sad is that it doesn't get attention. And no matter how many people stomp their feet and speak up and try so hard to be heard, it is incredibly hard to get this on people's radar screen, especially people who are decision makers and policy makers and, and, um, you know, politicians. Um, so it's been happening over the past 50 years and the hypothesis, and I think it's pretty well substantiated is that when it started to happen is when we, um, had the freedom for divorce and in America, some of these problems are even more prevalent, um, because it is actually relatively common to raise boys without dads and, so what's happened, you know, so so that doesn't mean, uh, I don't think anyone's trying to suggest we need to go back to a time when we couldn't get divorced. But I do think what we do need to do is open up the conversation about how divorce does impact our children and move away from the dialogue that kids are resilient and that it's just fine and they're going to be fine no matter what and move into a conscious discussion that says, you know, um, there are real ways 
that boys are being impacted. I, I, when I say boys, it's because it's this subject that we're talking about right now. It's, it is absolutely impacting our girls as well. It just happens to be much sure. more significant in our boys, especially as it relates to dads. And I'm pretty sure that has a lot to do with the fact that it's, it's the, the kids who orient toward the same sex parent. I, I'm pretty sure that that's a pretty, um, that we could agree on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, so, uh, so really the connection is that. When we started to have an increased prevalence of divorce and an increased prevalence of raising boys without dads, and that, that of course, has many reasons. Sometimes it's the dad opting out. Sometimes it's the dad never being involved in the first place. But often it is divorce and, and can be times when the mom has decided that she doesn't want him involved anymore. So there are many reasons why that's happening. It's not about blame. It's about awareness. Mm-hmm. So did I answer your question that they, that's yeah, the belief? Yeah, you, you did. You did. And you did. And I also imagine, I mean, there's been a long, hard, necessary push for equal rights. Um, mm-hmm. And then yeah, what I'm so intrigued about this topic, and as we discussed prior to the show, intrigued by you being a um, woman empowerment leader and advocate and advocating for boys, um, you know, I just I have to say, as a man, there's been a lot of times lately where you're not feeling too proud to be a man with what's going on in the world, and that has to that has to come into play as well with I think a lack of sympathy, empathy for for boys and for men. It's like, hey, you you know, you guys have you guys have had plenty of power, plenty of privilege, plenty of control. We don't really feel so bad for you. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I would agree. I I think there was a period that I was feeling that, you know, I was, yeah, from my own experience, there were definitely times, I mean, I've had a really amazing uh, track record with great relationships with so many men. And I can, I can tell you that for the most part, I, I haven't experienced some of the things that other people have described in their experiences with men. But I still was drinking in the the Kool Aid, if you will, that you know men men have power and privilege, and it really wasn't until I did a I did my own deep dive that I realized that yes, there are some men who have power and privilege, <clears throat> but it's actually. I don't know. I think that Michael Gurian says it's 5% of the population. So 5% of the men are in a, a genuinely powerful position where they may be making decisions that sometimes impact other people and may p- impact other people negatively. But really, the and then, of course, we have another percentage of men who are doing unconscionable things. And that's also a pretty small percentage of people. And it's it's hard for me because I, I don't really think it's in service to anyone to say that people have privilege. And I don't, I just don't think it helps to further humanity to be putting men into some type of negative categorization. I think that you can look at all human beings and see places where we don't bring our best selves forward. And I think we need to all hold ourselves accountable for it. But I don't really know that I've, I don't really believe that it's helped anyone. I think it's actually hurt men and women and hurt 
our relationships. And when I was saying that I read the book, The Boy Crisis, and it changed my relationships, it's because I was able to see that men are worthy of compassion, you know, and that that mm, okay. something like, you know, 90% of men are in the middle and they're just humans trying to get by in the world. And yeah, I'm sure there's some benefit that they've they've had from being, you know, let's just say like a white guy. Yeah, I'm sure there are some benefits, but there are a lot of men who are white men who are living in poverty and feel absolutely no sense that they are privileged. And while I understand from an ideological perspective what privilege means, and I do understand that you could argue they still do, you, we have to be honoring what people are actually going through and their unique experience in the world. And I just don't see it that way anymore. I do not see that at this point in 2019, I absolutely do not believe that we are at a place that in America, women are oppressed. Ah, that's going to get some people. (laughs) (laughs) It is. And that is is. That's why we're talking about the hard stuff. Yes. Right. And that is partially because I, you know, I believe in true women's empowerment. So when I work with women, And they're telling me that they have somebody who they feel is somehow keeping them down, who has their, you know, their boot on their neck, so to speak. My work with them is to help them to find the courage to stand up and to ask for what they need and to figure out what it is that is happening within them that holds them back from asking for what, for what they need. And, and so I think we're at a point right now where we need to be, you know, engaging personal empowerment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And also, of course, adding, you talk about many um, white men who are living in poverty and not feeling uh, the privilege and the power. And of course, many uh, men of color who certainly experience discrimination and not feeling like they're in a role with privilege and power as well. So this is, of course, Absolutely. a multi-layered and multifaceted problem. The blanket statement is with the boy crisis, I am seeing and guessing, regardless of color, skin, ethnicity, religious background, boys uh, were concerned about boys growing up to be healthy uh, and productive men. Absolutely. And, you know, I think statistically speaking, I think that actually, you know, boys of color are having a harder time. So that's no question. And and so I don't ever want to give the impression that um, I don't, I, I actually differentiate just for the record, I differentiate privilege when it comes to gender differently than I do race. And um, I I feel like we have moved beyond a lot of the um, the old sort of places where women were more oppressed. And I'm speaking in developed countries, by the way. 
But I still think we have work to be done on race, for sure. And I don't want to digress into that, but I just want to make sure that I'm clear. I do think that there, sure, and, and sure. this is a, this is probably a place where there is some more attention though with boys or have been more organizations that have been founded to support inner city boys and um, fewer to support, say, like white affluent boys, you know, because there is some more awareness. But I don't know. It's really hard for me to believe this, but on a national level, um, there are many, many, many organizations like governmental, federal organizations that are in support of women, but there are none that are looking at what's hap- what, what is happening with boys. And it really makes hmm. me so curious that um, that we can see the statistics and that people can know the statistics, but people are literally afraid to bring up that our boys are struggling because there's a fear that it will take away from the mission to um, bring equality to girls and women. And it's so important. And that's uh, also what I uh, very much respect about your message is that it is possible to empower girls and women and also support and empower men and boys as well. They're not mutually exclusive. They are not mutually exclusive. So, We've have boys who are on a national level are doing poorly in school compared to their female counterparts. We have less boys graduating from college than in the past. Uh, by 2020, there will be approximately 40% male graduates. Less roles, perhaps, for them. Um, you referenced the military in the past and such, and uh, the alarming suicide. Uh, teen suicide rate across genders, but the increased lethality from 10 to 14, 15 to 19, all the way to five times for um, boys from 20 to 24, and four times from 15 to 19. So, you know, the subtitle of the show is what moms and dads can do about it. So tell us, what can moms and dads do about this crisis? Well, I would, I'll give you three, I think. So the first one is that we do the best we can to understand the difference, the differences in parenting that moms bring and dads bring, and that we see that they are both equally valuable. And that when we're in an intact family, that we do the best we can to support each other in our different roles and not try to make each other into each other. And uh, we can do that by doing a little bit of research and reading. We can read books by Dr. Warren Farrell or Dr. Gurian, Dr. Michael Gurian, um, and many others. Um, and then in the event that we're contemplating divorce, I would recommend that we have we make sure that we understand the impact of that decision on our children and that we don't sugarcoat it so that we can do a better job of addressing those impacts And then if we are already in a situation where we are divorced or a single mom or some other um, situation that isn't an intact family, including same-sex parenting, um, in those situations, it becomes a place where we want to educate ourselves. We want to understand what it is that our children would be lacking if they didn't have a a consistent male role model in the home, and then how we can bring that into their lives. And that can be a combination of many things, but I'll give you the two that come to my head 
right off the um, right off the bat are that we can actually learn. Say, for example, as a mother, I can actually learn how to do some of the things that men more naturally do. But I have to know that my natural inclination isn't going to be that. So, for example, I might be um, more, my natural inclination is to be more nurturing. And sometimes that results in me being much more open to negotiate with my kids and to maybe not hold a firm boundary. And I might set a boundary, but I might be willing to negotiate it. Whereas my husband might be more likely to set a boundary and also enforce that. That's a a really quick example. There are so many others. There's another one about roughhousing and the value of roughhousing and that roughhousing actually uh, cultivates a better, uh, better awareness of ourselves, better ability to set boundaries, to listen to other people's boundaries, and also to be able to know the difference between aggression and assertiveness. So there are ways that men tend to more naturally do that. So if I, as a mother, can learn how to enforce boundaries, maybe not all the time, but some of the times, and also if I can learn as a, a woman, as a mother, um, maybe how to bring in some roughhousing and teach some of these boundaries. I can, I can cultivate that a little bit more in my in my kids. Um, so I think that that's one one piece of it. The other one is to bring in more male role models. So to get our our sons involved in communities where they can get support from other men and male teachers and maybe um, the Boy Scouts and other places like that. So I would be wanting to bring in more male role models. Um, that's number one. Number two is I would, the kind of going along with that is I would really educate myself. Um, I recommend people educate themselves on the biological differences between boys and girls because there are really significant ones. We have been getting a little bit of a, a message right now that all gender is socially constructed. And um, while that might be true in some regards that there's a huge conditioned um, effect of when we just living in the world. Uh, however, there are some pretty significant things that we know that testosterone does to a boy's brain that are important to understand and to be able to better be able to relate to our child and also help them to navigate, to just navigate being a boy. And finally, I would encourage people to maybe just fear fear masculinity a little bit less because we have been Mm. given the idea that there is this thing called toxic masculinity. I said this before and I'll, I'll repeat it that I just think that toxic can crosses all, you know, it crosses, it crosses into every area. Any human being can have characteristics that can become toxic, but we have come to believe that things like competitiveness, aggression, and stoicism are negative, or they're, they're these masculine characteristics that are bad. And I think that that can be true if we, if we are stoic and never vulnerable, but there is a place for vulnerability and there's a place for stoicism. And I'm a big fan of, of encouraging both our boys and our girls, my, the women that I work with that, you know, stoicism is not a bad characteristic. It's actually a very healthy pro-social thing to learn. And there's a time and a place for aggression. And there's absolutely a time and a place for competitiveness and taking away competitiveness, which is basically telling our boys, your natural inclination is wrong and bad. Is um, I think that's harmful. 
So I would mm-hmm. just say, you know, mm-hmm. let's examine our own biases to- that we have probably been listening to media telling us that these things are wrong and bad. And let's come back to trusting our own in, you know, our own intuition, our innate wisdom and really start to ignore the outside influences and learn how to be in relationship with our son, meet our sons where they are and really get to know them as the human beings they are. And I think that's the, if there was one thing that someone could walk away with, I would say, try to tune out the bias that you're being, like media has a purpose and media is trying to accomplish something. And it is generally speaking, not interested in your specific relationship with your son. And so you, you've got to claim that and, and, you know, meet your child where they are and develop that relationship. So those would be some of the things I would say. Those are those are some great recommendations. I I I'm seeing a theme. I'm hearing a theme, which is to understand them, to accept them, and to support them. And and within this, to really take a look at oneself and one's own biases about one's own experiences, consistent with parent footprint. Like, what's our own experiences of either being a man, having been a boy, or as a female, being raised or not raised by certain kind of men, what do we believe about that? And then how, do the, how does that translate into our beliefs about our own sons and, and question them? Uh, because we need to question, because we're getting fed a lot of media. There's a lot going on. But so key is this understand, accept, and support I have so yes. many more questions um, <laughs> and not enough time. So I, I just, uh, I, I need, we need to go to the parent footprint moment question. My mind is spinning right now. Um, so we're going to have to have another conversation as a follow up because I also think people in, who are listening are having a lot of probably understandable responses uh, to this, I think, loaded topic and a loaded topic that we do need to keep talking about and grappling with. So, Deb, the parent footprint (laughs) moment question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Tell us of a time when you became aware of yourself as a parent or an individual and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. There are so many but I will give you what might be the first. When my son was about five, this is even before I really started my own personal growth journey, but I was in therapy at the time. But my son would, he maybe he was even a little bit younger, but I was noticing that he would cry about things that seemed not that important. You know, like he can't have the blue cup or the you know, we can't find the sneaker that he wanted to go with the other sneaker, things like that. And, you know, I was raised with two brothers, two older brothers, and um, I think I was, and I also had trauma that had not been healed. So I was a little tough. I think I was a little tough. And I went to my therapist and I asked the question, why does my son cry over the most ridiculous things? And she said something that I can't believe was so shocking, but it was. And she said, maybe he's not crying about that at all. Maybe he's crying about 
something else. You know, maybe he had a hard day or he's feeling sad to leave you or something else is going on and it just is the easier thing to cry about. And I will tell you that while that may seem so basic and and so elementary to some, that was huge for me. I changed I literally became a very different parent in that moment because I realized that this is a kid who's got like big feelings. He's trying to navigate the world, you know, he's going to preschool and kindergarten and having social issues and all these things. And he comes home and it's his way he can release. And so it was a it was a nice. shift. I I was yeah, and I was able to to just be with him and not need to fix everything and not need to have a solution. Like we like I would be like we can't I can't give you the blue cup. It's dirty. It's in the dishwasher. And I realized I didn't need to do that. All I needed to do was just sit with him and be like, dude, sometimes it sucks to not be able to get what you want. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, you know, and just a permission for a, so many permissions there. Permission for you not to have to solve it. Permission for him just to be and, uh, and without judgment, right? Just yeah. for him to be an upset little person. Yep. Yeah. So I know. And a lot has changed for me. And now I understand it on many other levels. But that was the beginning of me mm-hmm. really understanding that it's okay for him to have feelings. And that I don't have to fix anything. I can literally just be with. Nice. Big benefit for him. Big aha for you. Yes. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that does conclude our show about the boy crisis, what moms and dads can do about it. Tell people where they can continue to follow um, the multiple things that you're doing from your coaching and empowerment and also uh, taking on this uh, boy crisis. Yeah, that would be great. So you can find me at debblum.com. And on there, you can find um, the many projects that I'm involved in. But if you specifically want to look up what I'm doing around boys, then you can go to wellbeingofboys.com. And then you could find me, I mean, social media, I'm all my social media is on my websites. So you could find me anywhere. Find Deb anywhere, everyone. Um, Wellbeing <laughs> of boys is a great way to conclude the show. Let's all think about how we can promote the well-being of boys and take a look at this because this is a real thing uh, that we all are contributing to and can all, of course, be a part of the solution. Yeah, and actually, we all benefit from it. (laughs) Thanks. We all benefit. We all benefit from it. Thanks for listening today. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. You can find our Parent Footprint Awareness Training, which is designed to do what we're talking about, which is to parent with purpose and intention. Be the person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?